The scripture reading for today comes from Philippians chapter 4, verse 1 through 9. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Uh, welcome to everyone uh, here today. Um, those of you who are new to our service, I want you to know that we are going through a series of sermons on the fruit of the Spirit. And this is now the third uh, in the series. We began with love, which is the first and greatest of the fruits. And you may remember we had uh, strawberries as a way to uh, remind us of that. Uh, Then last week, we talked about joy, having joy in all circumstances, and you may not remember what we had, but uh, we had lemonade and bananas covered in chocolate and pineapples. Uh, The theme was yellow as a a color of joy. Uh, Today, we're going to have uh, peace, and I don't know what fruit we're going to have, but uh, or whatever fruit you may associate with peace, but we're going to have something uh, to do with that. Uh, before I get into this sermon, I just have two uh, quick uh, announcements that I do want to make. Uh, last week, we took an offering for a hurricane relief, and I know many of you forgot about it because uh, we kept getting emails throughout the week saying, I forgot, can I still uh, make an offering? And so uh, we will take an offering today if you want to contribute uh, today, or um, if you forgot about it again, uh, just let somebody know, and we'll make sure that your contribution gets added uh, to that. So uh, during offering time, if you could just uh, put a little note on your offering, uh, we'll do that. And secondly, uh, after service today at 1230, uh, we will be having the seminar uh, on uh, making faithful and loving decisions at the uh, end of life uh, with Morgan. Uh, so if you did not sign up for that, you can still sign up. Uh, there's a few more spots left, so... Um, Morgan, can you stand just or wave your hand just real quick? So there's Morgan. So if you uh, are still interested in that, uh, you can still uh, join us uh, for that this afternoon. All right, let's, uh, let's pray together. God, we thank you for uh, this day that you have made. We thank you for your love and the joy and peace that is possible in you. And so now we ask that in the hearing of your word, would you make peace a part of our fruit-bearing we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So um, I remember when I was a young husband and a young father, uh, I would spend entire days at the library 
thinking and reading, studying, writing about God and the Bible. It was so quiet and peaceful in the library. And I'd sit in my favorite chair, my favorite room, and I'd sip coffee between my favorite books. And I'd have just such a great day feeling all holy, you know. And then I would go home. And even before I opened the door, I would hear screaming as one or more of my kids was having a meltdown. I'd open the door and I'd see that the house looked like a tornado went through it. And my wife would look at me as if she didn't know whether she should scream at me or cry. And in that moment, in that clear moment, in this moment of distress on the face of the love of my life, my first thought was... Why isn't dinner ready? (laughs) Then followed a series of even more sorry thoughts. Why isn't the house neat and orderly? What did she do all day? Why isn't she making my life more peaceful for me? I'm going back to the library. Maybe she should pray harder so that she can get some of the peace that I enjoyed in the library. Now, thank God I didn't say any of those things out loud. (laughs) But sadly, I mean, it took me, it took me a while to realize uh, that my peace was being built on all the chaos that I was dumping on her, and that I can't really have genuine peace unless she can have some peace too. Uh, if you're like me at all, uh, and I just mean this in a very narrow sense, not like being a bad father or husband, uh, you know, you probably have read or heard the scripture reading today individually, personally. That is to say that you've probably misread it to some extent, as I did for most of my life. Right? So this reading from Philippians 4, I've always thought Paul was telling me that I should rejoice always, that I should not be anxious about anything, that I should pray, that I should make my request known to God, and then God will give me this supernatural peace in, in me. Now, that's, that's not entirely wrong, and of course that's true, but it really misses Paul's emphasis in this passage. This entire passage, just like the entire letter, is not addressed to a single individual. It is addressed to the church, to the community. Everything here should be read in the plural. So the sense of the middle part of this passage is something like this. It's, hey, church, rejoice in the Lord together. I know that some of you are having a hard time not getting along well. There's conflict. But let me say it again. Rejoice together in the Lord. It's okay to have differences. But have a unity of spirit and mind in Christ together. Let the magnanimity the considerateness, the forbearance, the toleration, gentleness, and peace of the whole church be evident to the world. Let your life together demonstrate to the world that together Jesus is nearby. As he said, I am gentle and lowly in heart, and I am with you always. Together as a church, present your shared prayers and petitions to God, and God will protect your collective hearts and minds. God will cover the whole community and garrison your whole group with the peace that is beyond human understanding and imagination.
as I've been saying for three weeks now, fruit is for the nourishment of the community. It's not just mine to keep. The peace of God that is promised is not for my own personal enjoyment and peace and quiet. Now, of course, that's included. But the peace of God is for the whole community. It's for the whole community. That's why Paul here, I think, you know, a little surprisingly, he calls out two women by name to have the same mind in Christ in a letter that he expects to be read out loud to the entire church. Right? This is not what I learned in seminary about pastoral care. Can you imagine? This morning I'm going to call out Bob and Larry. You know, they've been having this argument about what kind of fruit to have during fellowship time. And I'm going to call upon uh, Laura to help them you know, resolve their differences. Like, you can't do that. Right? Yodia and Syntyche are probably sitting in the opposite ends of their, the small house church. Right? They've got their arms crossed. They're kind of looking at each other as their names are being you know, called out. Right? I mean, that's a bad situation. I tend to think that Paul wasn't being uh, insensitive here. But rather, he's calling them out because this conflict has gotten to a point where everyone already knows about it. They know that this is a problem. It's disturbing the peace of the entire church, and it's damaging the witness of the church to the world. And so Paul calls upon the church, the whole church, and an unnamed true companion um, who's not identified, but I, I, I tend to think, and I kind of want to think, that it's Lydia, to help them resolve their differences. He calls for intentional, deliberate peacemaking. It's going to be uncomfortable. It might be awkward. There are probably people there who want to avoid conflict at all costs and just want to kind of gloss over it. But Paul doesn't want it to fester. He doesn't want to sweep it under the rug. He calls them to an open and loving resolution for peace, to have the same mind, to agree in the Lord. You know, of course, that you know, conflict and disagreements in the church, it's inevitable. It's inevitable. And we can have legitimate differences. But we are to be of the same mind as Christ, the humble mind, the loving mind of Christ and in Christ and disagree in love. And while we may not know the details of this particular situation, what's clear is that Paul is concerned about the peace of the whole church and not just of one person. So first, I want let, let's get a handle on what, what peace that Paul is talking about here. According to you know, typical dictionaries, peace gets defined as freedom from hostilities. One dictionary, for example, says freedom from or stopping of war, freedom from public disturbance or disorder, freedom Uh, From disagreement or quarrels, harmony, concord, an undisturbed state of mind, absence of mental conflict, calm, quiet, tranquility. Someone once said rather cynically that peace is that brief, glorious moment in history when everybody stands around reloading. You know, that's actually not that far from what the Greeks believed because they, they understood peace as this sort of brief interlude between their usual states of war. And so, you know, peace, that's one sense of peace, right? Absence of war, um, absence of conflict. But, but in Scripture, peace has a much, much broader meaning. It's not just an absence of or freedom from, but it's, it's, it's a much larger word. Uh, and Paul here, in this letter, 
he uses the very common word for peace. Um, it's nothing special about it, really. But the word idea that Paul is undoubtedly thinking about when he says peace is the Hebrew word for peace. And that's the word shalom. It's a word that he uses in every letter that he writes in the greeting, where he writes, for example, to the Philippians, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. Now, over the centuries, the church has always emphasized grace, and rightly so. But we can't neglect, we can't forget about peace. The good news of great joy was given, but it was followed by an angelic choir singing peace on earth. Walter Brueggemann writes, the central vision of world history in the Bible is that all of creation is one, every creature in communion with every other, living in harmony and security toward the joy and well-being of every other creature. In other words, the central vision of the Bible is peace. It's peace. And shalom is made possible by the grace that is given to us in Jesus Christ. Uh, I've, I know I've mentioned this before, but you know, in Star Trek, Mr. Spock, who's from the planet Vulcan, his customary greeting and farewell uh, is accompanied by the hand sign that looks like this, right? And he always says what? Oh my gosh. <laughs> live long and prosper. Come on! Right? It says, live long and prosper. How many years have I been with you and you don't know that? Um, Leonard McCoy, the actor who played the character of Mr. Spock, said that he learned this, or he got this idea, from his rabbi. His rabbi used to give the benediction in their services, and he would do the ironic blessing from number six. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. So the rabbi would do this because in Hebrew, the letter S looks like our English W. And so the hand, he made the first letter, the letter, the equivalent letter of S. And so he would do this as a way of saying, shalom, peace to you. You know, I tried this once, and I haven't been able to do it again because it's just people think it's a little too, it's a little too weird. Like, no, no, you can't do it now because of its association. But before Star Trek, this was like an, it was a cool way of wishing the congregation peace, shalom, peace. It's not just the cessation of violence. It's a peace so that you can have a long life where you can flourish and live fully. It's a peace that encompasses health and wholeness, material prosperity, not luxury, but a fruitfulness and freedom from famine and hunger for all. A completeness, harmony, well-being, and even salvation. That's shalom. It's all of that. And you can see that it's inherently communal. It's intensely relational, this shalom. It's not my peace of mind. It's the peace that enables the whole community to live into the fullness of well-being. That's the peace that we are called to. 
You know, those of you who speak Korean probably know this already, but I just discovered it this week. The Korean greeting, uh, t- typical greeting, is 안녕하세요, right? I know some of you are going to challenge my word study here. It's funny, you never challenge my Greek or Hebrew words, but you always challenge my Korean. So I just want to show you, I checked this with some real Korean speakers. Um, but the Korean, the 안녕, the Chinese characters for anyang are both the word for peace, tranquility, serenity. So it's like, peace, peace, haseyo, which is the, like the interrogative, right? Are you at peace, peace? You might say, are you at perfect peace, wholeness, completeness? I mean, isn't that good? That's, that's shalom. So, so when we greet each other to say anyang haseyo, right? Or to say shalom. That's, that's way better than, hi, hey, what's up? Right? I mean, that is a good theologically sound greeting. Are you at peace? Are you well? This peace, this shalom, in the broadest sense, is what Paul wants for the church. And it is a gift that comes from God. Romans 5.1, the Apostle Paul put it this way. Therefore, having been justified by faith... We have peace. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The justification that has been given to us by faith through the death of our Lord Jesus Christ gives us, makes possible, this peace with God. And it is that peace which then enables enables us to have peace with others and with ourselves. The peace that comes from God, made possible in Jesus, is the foundation for what allows us to have the greater peace, this, this broadening peace with the whole world. It is a gift of God. It's not something that we, we have to work harder to achieve. It's not you know, achieved by you know, manipulating the circumstances of your life. Uh, it's not trying to eliminate your, the worries and, and stresses in your own life, regardless of the peace of others. You can't do that. This shalom must be received, and it is not just for you. It's for the community. And so that's why he says here now, You can get this through prayers and supplications with thanksgiving. It comes from God. So instead of worrying, instead of being anxious, Paul says, make your requests known to God. That's how the peace comes, as we pray. Now I know, you know, of course, we we all, when Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, it's hard to kind of take that, right? It's, it's a bit of an exaggeration. We all get anxious and worried, or sometimes we don't like to use those words because they sound, you know, unholy, so we say, I'm concerned, right? Um, you, you can't help having concern for your own health, your family, your children, your parents, your jobs, your studies, whatever. Even the Apostle Paul wrote, you know, um, even though he says, don't worry about anything, He wrote to the Corinthians, I have daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. I mean, he had this burden of all these churches that he helped to found, uh, the burden of how well they were doing. And so it's not that we can just ignore it or that it's going to completely disappear. But it's also, you know, this don't think or we we don't want to have this sort of false notion that I can somehow lessen or get rid of it if I do more, right? That if I can somehow you know, have more stuff or have more money or, or whatever, that I can somehow get rid of or reduce all this 
worrying, right? That I can somehow control my life so that bad things won't happen to me. Now, I suppose there are some things that you can do to lessen some of those concerns and have a kind of worldly peace. But the peace that surpasses human understanding, the peace that Paul is talking about here, it only comes through prayer. It only comes from God. I'm reminded here of the the story of Daniel. Um, Remember um, in the story of Daniel, his nation passed the law forbidding prayer to God. And so, you know, I'm sure that Daniel felt anxiety because he knew that if he prayed, he was going to be punished. But the Bible says, after the law was passed, Daniel got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. He just, he just kept on praying. For that, of course, you know, he was tossed into the den of lions. And during the night, it was the king who was so anxious about it, he couldn't sleep. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what Daniel was thinking or what was going on uh, while he was with the lions. I'm, I imagine he was pretty anxious, you know, being surrounded by lions. But I'm also confident that he prayed, that he continued to pray, and that he had a kind of supernatural peace, that he had a supernatural peace. I know, you know, we're not likely to face, face this kind of extreme anxiety, but Paul says, you know, let your requests, whatever they may be, let them be made known to God. Let your worries and concerns be known to God through prayer, through prayer. Again, you know, prayer isn't some magical formula that you can conjure up to manipulate God to do the things that you want, to give you this, this peace of mind. Prayer, as we learned in the New City Catechism, is pouring out our hearts to God. It's pouring out our hearts to God. It's not some perfunctory act to get what you want, but a passionate engagement with God. An intimate conversation with God, thanking God and trusting God, even as we're struggling with the chaos in our lives. That's how we receive the peace of God as a gift. But I want to tell you that there's something better and even more important than the peace of God this morning, this afternoon. Paul says that through prayer and supplications, we can experience the peace of God. That's true. Through prayer, God God can give us the peace, the peace of God. But then Paul goes on to write, finally, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you all. Through prayer, we can experience the peace of God. But as we think about these things, as we practice these things, the God of peace will be with us. Not just the peace of God, but the God of peace. When we practice or or train and discipline our minds to think about what is good and honorable and true and pure and lovely and commendable, when when we fill our minds with those thoughts, God will reshape our minds, transform our perspectives, realign our behavior, 
and we will experience the presence of the living God within our midst as a church. And also within ourselves. Isaiah 26.3 promises us that God will keep them in perfect peace. And the perfect peace there in Hebrew, it's peace, peace. Shalom, shalom. God will keep him in perfect peace. Peace, peace. Shalom, shalom. Anyang. Whose mind is stayed on God because they trust in God. Those who have a dependent attitude or a trustful disposition, the ones who lean on God, the ones who are supported by God, will have peace. A perfect peace formed in them by God. To to think about these things, to think about God, is to trust God. And and, and this peace comes from keeping our minds occupied with God. That's that's where peace really comes from. When we're praying, we're we're just occupying our minds with God. It's not so much the, the things that matter so much as that we're engaging with God and filling our minds with God and trusting God. That's why prayer leads to peace. And as we practice these things, the God of peace will be with us. So let me ask you this. Imagine yourself now sitting alone in a carefree, stress-free, the most peaceful environment that you can think of right now. Just wherever that is for you, imagine you're sitting there by yourself or maybe with others. And just, you have no worries In that moment, what's going through your mind? When you let your mind wander carefree, what is it that fills your mind? Is it things that are honorable and just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise? If it's not, You know, maybe one of the reasons that we are not as fully experiencing the presence of God is because we're not filling our minds with these thoughts of God. Right? We have to carve out these times of prayer so that we can have an opportunity to allow ourselves to immerse and to be immersed in the Word of God and in thoughts of God. And as we do that, that that peace will come. And as we do that, we'll experience the presence of God. I'd originally planned on on closing the sermon today uh, with a rather lengthy illustration from uh, Shusako Endo's novel, The Samurai. Uh, But I'm just going to give you a very, very brief uh, illustration with this. um, Because I I was very moved by the end of the novel uh, because the samurai, uh, the the lead character, who who has no faith... um, has been sentenced to death and, he's going, and as he's reflecting on his life and all the suffering that he's gone through, uh, finally comes to understand the, these words of Christ. He is always beside us. He listens to our agony and our grief. He weeps with us. Right? So he, he's always kind of rejected Christ as this weak, pathetic, like how can anyone worship this you know, wounded God on a cross? But at the end of his life, as he's experienced all of this stuff, he's drawn back. And these words, right? He is always besides us. He listens to our agony and our grief. He weeps with us. And he makes this great discovery that in spite of himself, really, 
that the God of peace has always been present in his life. And so then he's able to face his death with fortitude. I was going to talk about that, but I'm not because on Friday night, um, this past Friday, uh, many of us uh, were here and we're so blessed and encouraged uh, to hear Sarah uh, share her testimony, a really moving testimony. Uh, she shared about uh, working uh, in the World Trade Center buildings uh, on 9-11 when the planes crashed and, and how she managed to get out. She shared about how hard it was in the months and in the years that followed to go back to work near there, to go back downtown, to walk past the World Financial Center, uh, to take the subway. And then she said that after many, many years, while attending a Friday night worship service, they were singing praise songs, and there were words that were projected on the screen about how God never leaves us alone. Now, I'm sure she knew that, right? She's, I'm sure she heard that from her ministers many, many times. It's not some new, you know, keen theological insight. But that night, in that moment, she realized that God was telling her through those words that she was not alone and that he had never left her. Like, like it, just, it just hit her in that moment. And so after many years, she said she finally got it. And then this is what she said. So this is part of it is she's thinking about what she was hearing. Remember you were on the 40th floor and not at your desk on the 60th floor. I was there with you. Remember how you got down to the lobby right before the plane hit? I was there with you. Remember when you met the woman who helped you home? I was there with you. I sat there sobbing as God clearly pointed out every instance and told me that every step of the way I was under his protection. In the midst of all the confusion and chaos, he was leading me home in the best way possible. I mean, that's an incredible discovery, right? Like in the novel, she discovered he is always besides me. He listens to our agony and our grief. He weeps with us. If I, if I could interpret those words a little bit, uh, I would suggest that she discovered the presence of God as she joined others in worship. As she went to worship despite of what she was feeling. As she prayed with others, and as she turned her mind on God. So she can now look back on that day, on that horrific, tragic day, and not only have the peace of God, but she says she can sing praises to the God of peace who was there beside her always. I mean, that's the best discovery of all. To know that God is with you and is for you. I am with you always. This is what Paul is talking about. It's what Paul discovered while he's writing this from prison. Right? He's talking about joy and peace from prison. And he knows he's about to be executed. It's what Job discovered after all his suffering. It's what Daniel declared after spending a night with the lions. You know, you can work really hard, try really hard, to eliminate the stresses in your life. That, that's a kind of peace, I suppose. 
But you know that you can't really get rid of all the irritating, anxiety-producing people in your life. You can't. And in case you forget, you too are a source of irritation and annoyance to some people. You are. You cannot eliminate all the stresses of work, the painful reminders of loss, all the perplexities of daily living, but, but, in the middle of all of that, in the middle of something as trivial as like being stuck in New Jersey rush hour traffic, or something as life shattering as the death of someone you love, you can still have peace. You can still have the peace of God. Because it's not the absence of trouble that leads to peace, it is the presence of the God of peace that is peace. It is to have the Prince of Peace. And knowing that the Prince of Peace is with you and is for you, that is the peace that surpasses all human understanding. Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world. Not as the world do I give it to you. So don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. Peace beyond comprehension. In the midst of the storms in your life and the storms in your mind is possible in Jesus. Make your requests known to God and let's do that together. Think about what is honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and worthy of praise and let's do that together. And as we practice these things, May the God of peace be with us all. Let's pray. Lord, help us today to come before you in prayer to let all that is in our hearts come before you. And God, would you just exchange those things with your peace, a peace that that I cannot explain. And God, as, as we do that, as we practice together, as we immerse our whole community in your word, as we immerse ourselves in you, would you make your presence known to us? so that we may share a common peace together. And in that peace, God, help us to work toward the peace of others. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, uh, we want to receive into membership of this congregation uh, those who've made a commitment uh, to give of themselves uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the life and ministry of this church. So at this time, um, if I could have um, the candidates for membership, um, I don't know.